Welcome back to another installment of the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. This is Worldview Wednesday. Our host for today's episode is Nathan Oblak. everybody to the podcast for cultural reformation i'm nathan oblack and i'm joined by dr joe boot and ryan Aris. and uh gentlemen it's great to be with you both and uh there's a lot happening in the world right now and uh we might as well begin with the topic on everyone's mind the beijing olympics cheers <laughs> <laughs> joe your thoughts right. welcome to the people's republic of canada <laughs> <laughs> Gives you some insight as to what we'll be talking about today. Broadcasting today from our underground bunker. Mm, decidedly not at uh, our regular location. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> if anyone wait, wait, yeah. <laughs> Well, before we get into uh, our topic for today, uh, just a few things to mention off the top. We have an upcoming Mission of God conference uh, here in Southern Ontario. Uh, that's happening very soon, on Saturday, May 21st, and that will be held here in the Niagara region, and uh, this is going to be our general audience conference, so anyone can sign up for this, and uh, the topic of this year's conference is Utopianism versus the Kingdom of God, and uh, tickets for that conference will be available shortly, and you'll see that on our social media channels, as well as our website once tickets go online. Give and us the date again. What's the date for that? The date is Saturday, May 21st. Save the date. Yeah, I think right. I mentioned it. You guys should be listening. We're just reminding closer. you. Yeah, that's right. Say it twice. <laughs> <laughs> Say it again. Yeah. <laughs> once more for old time's sake. I won't do it. <laughs> uh, and don't forget, the, uh, the H. Evan Runner International Academy is also coming up June 5th to the 15th out in Golden, British Columbia, and space is filling up fast. And uh, we've got a couple of scholarships available, and you can find more on that program and the scholarships on our website at ezrainstitute.ca. And uh, yeah, I mentioned a lot happening in the world. And uh, this weekend, uh, with the support of Trudeau's Emergencies Act, uh, protesters were, were pushed out of Ottawa and... Uh, yeah, so much more than that. But we saw organizers' bank accounts frozen, uh, about 200 or more arrests. Uh, trucks were seized and towed. Uh, and now Parliament has just voted to keep the Emergencies Act in force beyond the original seven days. So that takes us all the way to about mid-March. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and possibly beyond, we don't know. And possibly and beyond, with, that's uh, right. the option. That's right. And, and uh, you know, we uh, truckers' windows mis- were smashed. Some some were yeah, pulled some out were of pulled their out. cabs in, at right. gunpoint. Yeah. And uh, people trampled. People were trampled by horses. There was mm. an indigenous lady uh, on, a, on a walker was trampled underfoot by horses. So mm. there's some pretty shocking images out mm-hmm. there right now. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, with all of that being said, uh, this week we are going to be returning to the topic of totalitarianism. And, Why? Uh, <laughs> yeah. We're given lots of fodder in this country, so <laughs> we'll keep coming back to it if we have to. Mm. I mean, I no, prefer no, the studied yeah. irrelevance of uh, <laughs> yeah, well, of, uh, of Big Ever, of the uh, the the evangelical ministry industrial complex. Mm. Mm. Maybe so. Maybe we pivot. Maybe we do a uh, I don't know a movie review this uh, this week. That's right. Let's plan <laughs> on that. 
well, yeah. Right. So no one else is talking about it, so we might as well do it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and really, one of the ways we've already addressed uh, what's happening in Canada is Joe uh, recently wrote a letter on behalf of uh, pastors in Canada uh, to Justin Trudeau, and it was picked up by Fox News and Daily Wire and various news outlets in the UK as well. And uh, we've been very encouraged Australia to see that. Too. Mm-hmm. Australia, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. excellent. Yeah, they're watching. The world is watching. Mm. Well, they've got their own issues uh, down there in Australia. So, mm-hmm. but I do hope uh, the letter's been an encouragement to them as well. And um, yeah, interestingly enough, even heavily liberal outlets, uh, newspapers like the Globe and Mail here in Canada, have also been pointing out uh, government overreach in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, Romans 13, Nathan, uh, Romans 13. <laughs> you stretched too far for the Globe and Mail. <laughs> oh, is that your Globe and Mail music? That's right. <laughs> That's how we set them up around here. <laughs> so well, when they're writing stronger articles than uh, Big Eva. Let, let me just get this straight. You're telling me that even the Globe and Mail, a major broadsheet in Canada, Mm-hmm is complaining about government overreach. Yeah, that is correct. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I even have the article in front of me, some interesting quotes from it. So again, this is a very, very left-leaning publication in Canada. But they're saying things like, you know, MPs who aren't convinced, or are convinced there's still a national emergency should nevertheless be eager to limit the scope of the government's emergency authority. I mean, yeah, was, yeah. That, was that you or was that the well, Globe and Mail, Joe? I'm not sure. Well, I just said it's stronger, so it's the Globe and Mail. But uh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> All right. So, still not as strongly worded as Joe Boot. That's right. Come on, Globe and Mail. Yeah. The next editorial, maybe Joe. It's interesting, though, one. isn't it? Because I think the vote was something like in the House was something like 180 to 153. Was it somewhere yeah, that's there? Right. That's right. And uh, so you've got uh, still a significant preponderance of of MPs mm-hmm. who voted for this. Uh, and people maybe who are joining us internationally should understand that this uh, this 1988 mm-hmm. bill, the Emergency Measures Act, effectively replaced the War Measures That's Act. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And has never been invoked before. No, right. This 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 act has never been invoked before. Um, a version of it was was invoked, I think, in 1970 by, interestingly enough, um, mm-hmm. uh, Trudeau Senior. That's, That's right. right. Yeah. Um, so you know, I guess like father, like son here. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, in that instance, even the the left leaning Tommy Douglas, mm-hmm. uh, who, lest we tread on a few idols here, mm. uh, was the premier for a while of Saskatchewan, was right. an NDP, often spoken of in glowing terms as a Christian, um, as a Baptist minister. That's right. Mm-hmm. Although he was also um, a promoter of eugenics, right, mm-hmm. and uh, of a big state mm-hmm. uh, and. Uh, um, Big big state medicine too, and all of that. So there's a very mixed, uh, very mixed report there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and he was, but again, he did vote against the the War Measures Act. He voted right. against the War Measures yeah. Act. That's right. Yeah, Tommy Douglas, just for our international listeners, was the uh, the one sort of chiefly responsible for the the current Canadian healthcare system, mm-hmm. uh, universal healthcare. Right. That, that's that right. We've got here. Mm-hmm. Whereas this time around, um, the NDP. Voted, you know, for the big state mm-hmm. mass gov- um, this this gov- government overreach, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it's like taking effectively what what the government has done is taken a, a sledgehammer right. to squash an ant. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and, uh, you know, really it's, it's, you know, you mentioned the, what we've seen of the freezing of bank accounts, not just of organizers, but of, right. but of people who made donations, That's right. mm-hmm. yeah. uh, you know, in one instance, I believe a, a single mother gave 50 bucks, um, to the convoy through one of the, um, uh, crowdfunding mm-hmm. sites mm-hmm. Yep. and part of this measure, which by the way, the Canadian government is looking to make permanent yeah. With respect to FinTrack and others, is the ability to monitor, control the kind of um, causes that mm. you're allowed to support That's right. through crowdfunding. Right. So when you start talking about the the the, and we've seen the seizure of bank accounts, we've seen the seizure of, of private property. Mm-hmm. We've got the mayor of Ottawa, who is advocating the sale of the trucks of the the truckers whose vehicles were impounded right um to raise government money mm-hmm. uh the you've got the prospect of your 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 account being seized your ability to transact business being taken away with these with these powers um you've got essentially protest being uh, in certain areas being completely suspended mm-hmm. uh so it's people which actually the emergency measures act does not allow for right mm-hmm. peaceful protest is yeah. still cover is still allowed right so we're in a situation where um frankly far too many people and and especially christians mm-hmm. christian leaders do not appreciate that this is a precedent That's right. setting That's moment right. yeah. mm-hmm. if the, if and we we've noticed for really the last 2 years that people just seem to consistently miss the whole idea of precedent setting right and 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 yeah once you've got a political precedent mm-hmm. uh just like legal precedent mm-hmm. then it can be used again and again mm-hmm. um and this has essentially been the use of the most powerful weapon in the government's arsenal right the a revised version of the war measures act to crush political dissent right and, and at least it's temporary yeah uh, there, there we go <laughs> just like gst yeah <laughs> that's right yeah and that's a that's a that's that's a very very significant thing because unlike even you know Trudeau senior during the seventies at least there was a situation there where genuine riots were involved as I understand mm. it here we've got a situation where people are are eating candy floss kids are, are pl- playing the drums and dancing in the street bouncy castles are being set up people are singing hymns and praying there's no violence there's no broken glass uh, there's no um, uh, uh, insurrection. There's no mm-hmm. violence towards police. Mm-hmm. This is a peaceful protest, yeah. and the the most uh, aggressive weapon of the state is launched against it. It's the crushing of political dissent. So, and everything that you're just describing there, Joe, that's not curated video testimony. That's mm-hmm. firsthand boots on the ground testimony from dozens of people who have been there. Yeah, right. That's right. And of course, the mainstream media has tried to suppress that as much as they mm. possibly can. Mm. Actually, on the morning of the vote, um, the the prime minister uh, made um, uh, uh, did a made a made a short speech. It was at a press conference, and uh, the the thing that struck me when he was speaking is the fact that we we're now dealing with a completely revised political lexicon. So mm-hmm. the same words are used that now hold a completely different meaning. He kept right. talking about mm-hmm. defending freedom, defending democracy, protecting people, et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, but the meaning of all of these words mm. has been altered. And it was, it was the sort of, I called it recently the quintessence of newspeak. Um, and I was reading um, recently uh, Roger Scruton's, uh, the English philosopher, the late Roger Scruton's book, uh, Fools, Frauds and Firebrands. He's analyzing the thinkers of the new left. And at one point he says, revolutions, and I'm quoting now, revolutions begin by encasing reality in newspeak and thereafter um, are haunted by the fear that reality will break out of its case and become visible as it truly is. So one of the striking things is that there's been an attempt to use, you know, we've talked about it a lot, these sort of um, bywords, I guess you'd call them. Mm-hmm. Um, these, uh, these, 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 you know, the politicians have been talking about divisiveness, but words like misogynist, uh, racist, people mm-hmm. with unacceptable views, all these types of expressions that have been used um, people who are, you know, suddenly these people are um, uh, insurrectionists and so on. Mm-hmm. These are Canadian citizens peacefully expressing political dissent to what has been the shutdown of their livelihoods, the destruction of their work. Mm-hmm. In, in some cases, the ruin of their own families, the ruin of their children's educational prospects. They've lost everything in many cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and and yet they're buried in newspeak. And when the convoy is coming to to Ottawa, what's happening um, in terms of what Scruton is saying here is that there's a sudden fear breaks out that reality is about to break in and become visible. And so it must be reality has to be buried again in newspeak. Mm-hmm. And he Scruton goes on to say, and I quote: "The intellectual labor of the new left has been not to prove the Marxist theory, but to describe the world as though it were true." so that every existing fact seems to resonate with the distant voice of the oppressed. Mm. So, you know, we hear the politicians uh, like Trudeau invoking um, these these terms that refer to people who are reg- allegedly oppressed, you know, misogyny, racism, and so forth, um, as though this is all true, right? It, but, but there's no attempt to prove the reality true. Mm. It's just words. Oh, you know, you hear the word um, confederate flag, Mm-hmm. Uh, right. We saw a swastika. You know, there are these these sort of uh, terms trotted out, repeated endlessly, and then encased in uh, sort of deftly written political newspeak right. to to shield everyone from reality itself. Mm-hmm. And, and it's uh, even even the phrase uh, over and over. There's been American influence. Yeah, <laughs> at yeah. the protest, <laughs> yeah. and just Canadians seem to. Oh yeah, that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> don't want that exactly <laughs> don't want people who love freedom and democracy and mm. interfering with our uh, marxist plans yeah. up here oh yeah, yeah. i yeah. saw we someone got a schedule in a, to keep too. that's right yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's right there was someone with a trump hat <laughs> shut her down <laughs> and 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 i think the thing is what uh one of the concerns that uh, i know we're going to discuss this in a bit more detail just now but one of the 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 things that I foresee happening, and it's already starting to happen, is that independent, uh, freedom-loving, creative, and gifted people mm. are starting to leave the country. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're planning mm-hmm. to leave the country. Right. And, um, you know, unless people have a, a very peculiar sense of calling, we will begin to 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 lose. I mean, uh, as you know, Alberta has been complaining about this for quite some time. Mm-hmm 
that with the uh, the, the left's attack on uh, you know in terms of climate on the um, fossil fuel industry mm-hmm. um, and uh, the the sort of ostracism of of Western Canada, some of its most gifted, creative, entrepreneurial people are simply leaving t- the country. When you high tax people, mm-hmm. when you regulate everything to death, mm-hmm. uh, what do people do? They leave. Yeah. Look at Elon Musk. Didn't he just leave California? That's right. Yeah. Um, this is what happens to when um, the, 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 the state overreaches. So in a small way, that was already happening. Mm-hmm. And of course, the apparatus for all of this that we have been warning about as we discuss the meaning of the kingdom of God, sphere sovereignty over against statism, mm-hmm. we've been warning for some time that the pieces were being put in place and have been put in place for a long time to for Canada to pursue this sort of course against its own citizens. And uh, the natural reaction of people is to want to bury their heads in the sand and pretend it isn't happening or pretend it's everything's okay, pretending yeah. this too shall pass and so mm. on, and not realizing what this precedent really means for the future. What this and in some cases, means. talking pretty big about you know, when all this is over, we're going to have a serious talk and think this through. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so far, what that's meant is we, we need to make many of these measures permanent. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, because we, we've got to avoid this kind of terrible thing happening again. I mean, that's right. been the rhetoric in the media. That's been the rhetoric of many of the politicians. It seems like that's what's going to be uh, justifying the extension of the Emergencies Act as well, because they could come back. Right. Yeah. It certainly could be used in that way. Right. I was reflecting on... Um, Hannah Arendt's uh, classic work, The Origins of Totalitarianism, as we sort of come onto that subject. Seem to bring Hannah Arendt in more and more often mm-hmm. these days. Uh, it's, I know, it's, uh, it's, it's troubling in itself, isn't it? I don't object. You no, know, but it, it is. It's troubling that we have to, 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 bring, to draw attention to these kind of authors yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and, and uh, what they were saying. Um, uh, in terms of this whole issue of... of, of, of the, the, the sort of trajectory, we might say, the direction of Canada and the mm-hmm. loss of, of gifted people. This is what she says. She says, wherever totalitarian movement sees power, uh, she says, uh, intellectual, spiritual, and artistic individuals um, are seen as dangerous to totalitarianism. Um as dangerous as the gangster initiative of the mob. Mm. And she says, and I quote, both are more dangerous than mere political opposition. The consistent persecution of every higher form of intellectual activity by the new mass leaders springs from more than their natural resentment against everything they cannot understand. Unacceptable views, for example. Mm. Total domination does not allow for free initiative in any field of life for any activity that is not entirely predictable. Mm -hmm. Totalitarianism in power invariably replaces all first-rate talents, regardless of their sympathies, with those crackpots and fools whose lack of intelligence and creativity is still the best guarantee of their loyalty. So you start to rely on, uh, well, quite frankly, the NDP. Look at them. You start, look at the quality, the lack of quality of our political discourse in this country now. It's shameful. It's a disgrace. Yeah, it is. And um, the, the, what, what begins to happen, she says, is that, you know, the, a totalitarian movement doesn't want free initiative in any field. It doesn't want uh, a, a social life and cultural life to be unpredictable in any way. Mm. It replaces, therefore, its, its talents with, with fools. 
because folly is the best guarantee of loyalty. Um, and uh, we've seen this, you know, what Arendt points out there time and again uh, in, in, a, in a variety of, um, of, of situations in the last you know, 150 years. Um, but especially when you look at the 20th century and you look at uh, the Soviet Union, you look at Maoist China, uh, you look at the former Soviet Union, I should say, and um, the uh, uh, what's taken place even in parts of South America and, of course, with, um, with Nazi Germany. And you've got plenty of material there to see what happens to creative, thoughtful people uh, with unacceptable views. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just switching gears a little bit, Joe, is uh, there's certainly in the Reformed community been a a resurgence of uh, an affinity for Aristotelian to mystic thought. And uh, we've found that this has greatly hindered uh, Christian discussion on totalitarianism, the view of the state. I wonder if you could Mm -hmm. expand on that a little bit. Yeah, this is a this is a, this is a real problem because as we've been de-Christianizing in our culture, um, I mean, people, for the most part, uh, have either forgotten or or are just ignorant of the fact that politics, uh, civil government, was for the longest time a part-time thing. Mm-hmm. There weren't professional. Um, there wasn't a professional full-time political class. Mm-hmm. You went to Congress for a few a few weeks. Mm-hmm. You had a job. You you had a business as an MP, um, and you were at Parliament for a short period of time, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that was because the state mm-hmm. was much smaller, and it wasn't seen as the so 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 civil government was much smaller. Uh, the, we shouldn't say strictly speaking the state was much smaller because the state is technically a territory, right. uh, but the the government of that territory was much smaller because far less of our lives were considered um, aspects of state jurisdiction. Right. They just weren't considered parts of the state's responsibility, of civil government's responsibility. So if you think about the fact, uh, Ryan, you mentioned, um, well, I mentioned Tommy Douglas, but you picked mm-hmm. up on the fact that uh, one of his contributions was universal health care. Mm-hmm. And then you can talk about Egerton Ryerson on, in Ontario, for example, and um, universal state education. That's right. And we can look at one area after another. And I think we were discussing over lunch the fact that I think it was you, Nathan, having mm-hmm. had so many years of experience in the education system that mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, if you're if you're a state educator, you vote NDP because That's right. uh, you know, big government. Um, the, uh, the state sponsorship of education, mm-hmm. uh, stronger unions, stronger unions, yeah. and so on. This is all part of the nexus of the of the late modern state. So the first thing we have to to point out is that what we often people have grown up in a statist society in the West now. Mm-hmm. If they're under, well, frankly, if they're they're uh, if they were born beyond 19, any time beyond 1960, really, because it was after World War II that many of these, uh, World War I was a, was a, was a major watershed as well, but World War II in particular. Yeah. Um, and you saw in, the, in the, that sort of 50-year period uh, the, 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 the massive growth of the state to the point where, um, you know, the, the, the largest employer in, in, in many areas now is government. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. 
when you've got so many sectors controlled by the state, you start to see what emerges as a vision of society in which all of these various aspects of society are viewed in a parts-to-whole relationship with government. So uh, the family, education, mm -hmm. uh, health and welfare, uh, even the economy, when you start to have a managed, planned economy in these social democracies, so-called, uh, become essentially sustain a parts-to-whole relationship mm -hmm. with the state. Of course, that was the essence of the totalitarianism in Mussolini's Italy, in Hitler's Germany, was the the, the, the marriage of corporate interest with big government, mm. national socialism, um, a different form of socialism in the Soviet Union and so on. So uh, we've, gr we've grown up, uh, even in the West now, as we've de-Christianized, we're the statist vision of society. And uh, it's very hard for people to lift themselves out from that, above it, to view it, uh, from a Christian standpoint, from a truly mm. Christian standpoint, we just sort of accepted it as the norm. But it's a pagan view, and that's why it's emerged as we've de-Christianized. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's emerged um, with the resurgence of humanism. Um, it's a pagan view of the state. And of course, we only have to go back to Aristotle and Aristotle's politics, uh, which I've got right in front of me now, um, to, to, to recognize the contours of... Uh, modern statism. Mm. So when Aristotle is discussing um, the formation of the state and then the state and the individual, uh, he says, and I quote, it follows that state belongs to the class of objects which exist by nature and that man is by nature a political animal. Mm. So um, Aristotle wanted to uh, see the all-encompassing institution of human life as the state man by his nature is a political animal not right. not not a creature made in god's image situated within creation to, in terms of the kingdom of god mm -hmm. right uh, but a political animal right so nothing about our experience would be pre-political would it precisely so and and of course aristotle's politics goes to goes into all kinds of discussions about the household about the family and household, how they should be managed, about eugenics, about um, mm. who should be allowed to propagate. Uh, uh, and this should be down, of course, according to Aristotle, to the lawmakers, right? This is, this is the state's role to make these determinations about abortion, about exposing infants, about the, the natural institution of slavery. Um, these were all, uh, and, and of course, uh, an elite that mm. will direct society in these terms. Mm -hmm. So man is doesn't have pre, a, a pre-political set of realities through which he can understand his own life as God's image bearer. And so he goes on to say, and I'm quoting again from, from Aristotle's politics, um, furthermore, the state has a natural priority over the household and over any individual among us, for the whole must be prior to the part. Uh it is clear, he goes on then, that the state is both natural and prior to the individual. Mm. So he says the state is prior to the individual, right. it's prior to the household, so it's prior to the family, and th these other aspects relate to it in a parts-to-whole fashion. Now that is the very essence 
of totalitarianism. That is what totalitarianism means. So the reason some uh, Christians and, you know, unfortunately Christian leaders um, don't want to countenance conversations about totalitarianism, even now, Mm. is they don't understand it. What they think is that you cannot talk about totalitarianism until you see um, martial law, (laughs) jackboots on every street. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, even now, though, I mean, uh, but they think that until you see some sort of militarized state with a dictator who has abolished uh, or or, um, ground to powder Mm -hmm. uh, political opposition, Mm -hmm. that we're not in the grip of totalitarianism. But that's not Mm -hmm. what totalitarianism Mm -hmm. means. It doesn't mean you need some charismatic dictator taking over or not so charismatic as the case may be. Um, Although I would argue right now, when we do have martial law effectively at the present time, and we've seen um, the the jackbooted... uh, uh, military in our in our streets in our in our capital crushing peaceful protest um that's that's actually it's that's just a manifestation one manifestation of the fundamental meaning of totalitarianism uh and and he and so aristotle goes on in his discussion of the household and its slaves he says and i quote now that i've explained what the component parts of the state are And since every state consists of households, it is essential to begin with household management. And so off he goes into his discussion of the household. Um, And uh, and then a bit later, he talks about slavery as part of a universal natural pattern. And there he says, indeed, some things are so uh, some things are so divided right from birth, some to rule, some to be ruled. he says that about male-female relationships as well. So he doesn't understand a, any sort of Christian. He has no a grasp of what Christian marriage really means. Mm. Of course, he's a pagan. Um, and he says it's clear then that by nature, some are free, others slaves, and that for these, it is both just and expedient that they should serve as slaves. Now, that's just a, that's just a quick sample of... Uh, Aristotle's politics. That's just horse's mouth right there. That's horse's mouth right out of, uh, in, in the words of the, the, the philosopher so admired by the medieval church mm. and uh, interpreted for the church by uh, Thomas Aquinas. Um, and uh, you see immediately the main contours of a totalitarian view of political life. Mm-hmm. The state is the whole, everything else is the parts the individual and the family, these are uh, uh, not prior, but after the state. So the state is the integrating principle. It's the ultimate integrating principle for human society. Mm -hmm. And there is an elite group who are born and nurtured Mm -hmm. to rule. And some people are simply just slaves by nature. Now, I would say that these thoughts, you know, in fact, I would argue that by its very nature, the, 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 the um the totalitarian state that views others in this parts the whole fashion and where the lawmaker is look at look at what we've done in our society recently you know when we look at aristotle and and you see him talking about the exposure of infants and abortions and when people mm. can procreate and so on right. and who can procreate well look at our society with our abortionism with our infanticide 
with our, uh, essentially our eugenics projects, with our redefinition of the family uh, by the state, with our criminalizing uh, people who have different views of marriage and so on, these are all marks of a totalitarian view of political life. Right. <clears throat> and um, unfortunately, when Christians were interacting with Aristotle, and there was an attempt to interpret, uh, to, to co-opt Aristotle and Christianize him in some way. And don't forget, we've talked before on our program about the, the form-matter mm -hmm. uh, distinction within Greek thought, mm -hmm. the, the, the eternal flux of, of, of matter coming up from the void, coming into existence, going out of existence again, fate, um, and then the cultural religion of Greece of those who have escaped fate, the gods, uh, the forms, the ideals, virtue, and so on. Um, these uh, the, the, these are sort of the dialectical tension, and uh, of course, it's within that form motive of the the ideal that uh, this idea of the state as the ideal society, the Greek polis, takes root uh, to be ruled by those who know what justice and virtue actually are. That's this elite group of philosophers. Um, who by nature need to rule. Um, and then, of course, there are those who are really slaves. And uh, what we're seeing, of course, is this look at the way that ordinary Canadians have been treated over these past few years, but especially over the last few weeks. Mm -hmm. These are um, uh, people with unacceptable views. Mm -hmm. um, they don't even need to be engaged with or spoken to. Um, they are to be ruled. Um, they are by nature slaves. And when government and the state takes over one area of life after another mm. in parts the whole fashion, what are you? When 50% when, when of your income is seized by the state mm. in taxes because the state has got so large and it's running all these different areas of life, when mm. you hand over 50% of your, of your income to a coercive state, what are you? Mm. Well, you're not a free man. Mm -hmm. So... These are the, the these are the factors that we see coming back now. What the what the Roman Catholic Church tried to do within the scholastic tradition is it tried to borrow Aristotle's view of the state, and then sprinkle the pixie dust of the church on it. So the state is the highest natural institution for Aristotle, and that view comes through in 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 Thomas Aquinas in Roman Catholicism. Uh, and, um, you know, to all our reform friends out there, yes, Thomas Aquinas is the philosopher of Romanism. And that's where you're getting much of your political theory from, the Roman Catholic Church. Um, and, and some of you aren't even that robust. Uh, we'll come to that in a minute. But, but Roman, the Roman Catholic Church's doctrine was that the, uh, through Aquinas, is that the state, yes, is the highest natural institution. Remember the second... Um, a dialectic that Doiver talks about is then the nature-grace distinction. So the state mm. belongs to the realm of nature, um, ruled by natural reason. You don't need God's revelation there, of course, because it's the realm of nature, and therefore natural reason is sufficient in this view. Uh, again, that's where some of our um, uh, reformed brethren get it wrong. And uh, grace then is the, the, the institution of grace is the church. And so the state 
as the highest institution, its calling is to bring people to 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 high to morality, to justice, right, to to virtue, and then it's a portal to grace, where salvation, eternal salvation, and beatific vision is realized, and so over time, the Roman Church did not want to advance uh, a, a kind of um, uh, absolute, a sort of state absolutism. It didn't. Mm-hmm. It recognized the implications of um, Aristotle's view. Um, and so that's, of course, why it needed and felt the need to control the state, uh, that the church felt the need to try and impose itself on the Pope, on various rulers and prelates and so forth, because of the the sheer the the influence and, and power of the state but over time uh what they developed was the doctrine of subsidiarity and this idea was introduced into social teaching by uh, bishop wilhelm emmanuel von kettler of maine in uh, the 1850s but it was very much built on that earlier uh, thomistic understanding of life because aquinas viewed the state as the all-inclusive total community in the realm of of nature um, and so uh, the state is this portal to grace under the church's supervision. Uh, in this model, now I want to quote from my book, Ruler of Kings, um, that's going to be with you shortly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I quote now... Which the f- you can still pre-order. Which you can pre-order right now, yeah. Uh, the family is at the bottom of a hierarchy of communities. In this model, the family is at the bottom of a hierarchy of communities that culminates in the state. This is still the official position of the Roman Catholic Church, Hmm. supervised and spiritually overseen by the Church. This hierarchical structure is the core principle of subsidiarity. This basically pagan view does not recognize or appreciate the unique character of the various social spheres of life as ordained by God. So it doesn't recognize sphere sovereignty. It doesn't recognize that each sphere of, of life, these different aspects of life, have their own sphere of sovereignty, their own jurisdiction, and are governed in terms of their own law. So Herman Doiverd explains it this way, and, and I cite Doiverd in Ruler of Kings on this point. Listen closely. He says, its Christian character was not scripturally sought. This is the, 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 the idea of the state. Its Christian character was not scripturally sought in the expression of Christ's kingdom within the inner structure of the state itself. But Roman Catholicism continued to see the inner structure of the state in the old pagan way as the total bond of all natural society and continued to deduce the principles for political life by natural reason apart from revelation. The state can participate in the realm of grace, not from within, but since, uh, not from within, but since it is itself strictly natural. It can do this only by enlisting the service of the Temporal Church Institute. So he's saying the state can't become here an expression of the kingdom of God in itself. Mm-hmm. It must mm-hmm. be enlisted by the church because it's the, it's the domain of nature. Now, So kings can go to church, kings can get their souls saved, but kings can't govern according to the word of God. Correct. Yes. So, uh, and... That's why you had this kind of arbitrary notion of the the divine right of kings, Mm -hmm. right? As though they were above the law rather than the biblical model, which is the king was to study the law and subject himself to it so that Mm -hmm. he he didn't raise himself, the scripture says, above the people. Mm -hmm. didn't become arrogant. 
so this, the problem here, both with this pagan view, both in Aristotle and in Thomism, is this hierarchical view. And the state being the highest natural institution. Now, the evangelical version of this, which is so destructive, uh, you have a situation where, um, at least in Romanism, there was an attempt to still connect the church and the state, right? So they tried to join them by the state co-opting the church um, and the church utilizing the state, uh, and the pixie dust of the church, if I can put it that way, being sprinkled on as many of these areas as possible. Whereas, um, and some, um, uh, we might say in, in, in some sort of modified versions of this, have sort of clung on to this notion that, that maybe, you know, in some sort of church-state relationship, uh, you can maintain this idea. But what actually modern evangelicalism has done has picked up on this same dialectic, uh, but in the evangelical version, the state and socio sociocultural life are disconnected, um, not only from the church institute itself. So, the uh, state and sociocultural life are, are 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 disconnected from the church, but also from God and from God's rule. So, in their desire to say, "Oh no, we can't have that, that, that era of persecution by a church-state connection." and rightly wanting to recognize a distinction, a proper distinction between church and state, they fall into the notion that the state is entirely as an institution of nature, still in the grip of this scholastic nature-grace uh, motive. It can't be governed by the word of God. It can't be subject to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it must be allowed to go its own way. It has some sort of vague principle of the common good in terms of natural reason and and some vague conception of natural law rather than the creation law that we would talk about republished in scripture. And that's a broader discussion for later on. But that's that that's the basic story of this is that the reason, and in fact, there was an interesting article in the UK uh, as a result of the open letter that you mentioned was... Um, uh, on the um, was the lead story actually on Friday for Fox News right. our open letter to the Prime Minister and to the federal government here mm -hmm. about the Lordship of Christ and state overreach and so on. Uh, the, 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 the there's an article in the UK that was complaining actually Catholic writers complaining of the lack of resistance of the Catholic Church in, in particular in Quebec. That's right. Mm. Well, why has the church failed to react? Why has it failed to push back against this massive state overreach? Or well, one key reason is that. Uh, is the principle of subsidiarity, right? Mm. Is and and you know, subs I don't want to I don't want to throw the Catholics under the bus here. I mean, subsidiarity has some merit. What subsidiarity essentially says is that you can give these lower areas of life, the individual, the family, the church, sorry, not the church, the individual, the family, business, economics, and so on. You, they can have a certain degree of autonomy, mm. but when they run into things that are too big for them to handle, then it must mm. be kicked upwards, right, to the ultimate institution, to the highest institution in the hierarchy, which is the state. Mm. And the only institution which, is, of course, isn't under the state is the Roman Catholic Church, mm. uh, which spiritually is to supervise the state as embodied most ideally in uh, the Vatican itself, which is a city state mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, where Pope is head of state and head of church. Um, so the, the, so subsidiarity does recognize that there is a, there is a problem uh, with um, the, the, the potential problem with the parts to whole relationship. 
so it, it says, you know, it has to have a relative autonomy, but it must, but it, but it ultimately the, the, uh, the, the natural institution which holds it all together, which is the highest institution, is the state. Well, what that doesn't give you theoretically, it doesn't, it, Romanism doesn't want an absolute, an absolutist state, but it doesn't have the theoretical tools to deal with state absolutism. Mm-hmm. It never has. Mm-hmm. If you look at to where um, Roman Catholicism has been dominant, there's been, you know, outside essentially of the Anglosphere, mm. um, you've not seen the development of freedom in the way that you have within the Protestant Anglosphere. As we've surrendered that in the in the Anglosphere, are the the, the Reformed tradition, let's say, uh, and of course Lutheranism in Germany have encountered the same problems. It's still in the grip of this this nature grace dialectic. Mm. Um, we, we we see that actually it's been very difficult for for the Roman Catholic Church and the Thomistic tradition to build uh, a theoretical structure that resists this totalitarian principle because it's borrowing from Aristotle. It's grounded in a pagan view of the state, mm-hmm. whereas what we see with um, founded uh, fundamentally the beginnings of it in Calvin and then developed and outworked by Kuiper yeah. is the principle of sphere sovereignty. And th- that recognizes that the, that the inner nature of the family and of the church and of the state and of business themselves can and should function in terms of the kingdom of God, in, in terms of their own sphere of authority and jurisdiction. And they are not in relationship to the state in parts to whole fashion. Mm. Uh, they touch... Of course, they interact. There are interlacements, right, but right. they are on an equal footing with one another, and that's the that's the key issue. And because much of the evangelical church in Canada and in North America has lost any sense mm-hmm. now, as with the with the receding of Calvinism, of true Calvinism, uh, we've lost almost any sense now of this principle of sphere sovereignty. Right. And th- th- that's left us without the tools very often to know even how to begin to build a response. And of course, that's what mm. Ruler of Kings, the book, is all about. Right. And this goes a long way to explain how so many Christian leaders in Canada right now, they're completely okay with healthcare and education being smaller parts of the whole, the whole being the state. Right. Totally comfortable. It's it's not even necessary to push back against that notion. No, and in fact, you you might even be extremely um, uh, judgmental, divisive, or even heretical for suggesting that right. mm-hmm. the state should not be have absolute authority over healthcare, over um, p- pandemics, right. uh, over um, education, mm-hmm. and so on. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there's no such thing as we often hear as a Christian education. Right. There's no such yeah. thing as a Christian state. There's no such thing as that. You know, you hear. Um, sadly ignorant pastors tweeting out things like, you know, well, this is all just a reminder we have no political home. Right. Um, because the notion is there that no no uh, nation mm-hmm. can ever uh, submit itself mm-hmm. uh, to Christ because, of course, a Christian politics is impossible. So this is where these people, you know, and their kids are all in state schools. Right. So uh, this is the problem, and we were lulled into this false sense of security because... Mm-hmm. When these things were being introduced 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 years ago, 140 years ago in some instances, but in this last 150 years, when these things were introduced as 
being managed and funded and governed by the state, by civil government. Civil government was broadly Christian, so people didn't see the threat. Right. Mm -hmm. They didn't really see the threat. Some did, actually, some some great Baptists like Charles Spurgeon, who uh, who opposed uh, state education, mm. um, saw the threat, saw that saw the risks involved, and of course, our American friends still have a much greater sense of the risk posed by state control of medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but uh, as far as most Canadian Christians are concerned, you're almost you're, you're an unloving uh, no. uh, and, um, and 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 some sort of radical extremist if you dare to suggest that. Um, mm. the state should not have uh, universal authority over over uh, and be funding oh, healthcare. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So who else is going to do it? Right, That's what we always hear. Yeah, and mm. so as a result, you get um, uh, you know the the, the radical. We've got what have we got in education? We've got the radical queer agenda in education. Yeah. What do we get in health? We've got euthanasia and abortion and mm. sex change operations mandated and so mm. on. Uh, you what what have you got in um, the economy. We've increasingly got a planned, managed economy. Mm-hmm. Um, you look in one area of life after another, and uh, what's happened now, tragically, is that with the churches largely in Canada, largely an acquiescence mm-hmm. to state control of its worship, right. uh, of when that you can worship, how you can worship, how many people can worship, what will your uh, what what will be on your face when you worship, whether you can sing, whether you can mm-hmm. baptize, whether you can take communion. Mm-hmm. With the state being allowed to control that, we've essentially formed what? An informal state church. That's right. It, it's not formally established, mm-hmm. but it's a state-controlled church. Mm-hmm. And so you see the radical collapse of of the the, the, the any notion of, of, of sphere sovereignty. Mm-hmm. And um, that's the situation we we find ourselves in. I was um, I was just uh, looking again if I can make just offer one more quote from from Ruler of Kings. Uh, when I was thinking about how this has been, this is the uh, people find it so difficult to to connect the dots because you know you look at the silken-haired Trudeau um, and uh, making his statements flanked by his masked um, pr- you know uh, deputy prime minister and and justice minister. And 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 then the 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 smiling faces into the camera, and they're not seeing the uh, the 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 ranting uh, rallies of Austria in Austria uh, of um, of a twentieth century dictator. They're not seeing the waving fist of a Mussolini. So they think, well, this is okay. It's fine. It's a, this is all good. This is just for our safety. This is all for. Uh, this is liberal democracy. We're in safe hands, etc. Tone, tone is on point. Yes, uh, and and so in this this it's the smiling face of liberal democracy, uh, of the of the liberal democratic general will that's so uh, dangerous. And this is what uh, Reisard Legutko says in um, his book, "The Demon in Democracy." Hmm. And I quote, he said, what we have been observing over the last decades is an emergence of a kind of liberal democratic general will. Whether the meaning of the term itself is identical with that used by Rousseau is of negligible significance. The fact is that we have been more and more exposed to an overwhelming liberal democratic omnipresence, which seems independent of the will of individuals to which they humbly submit and which they perceive as compatible with their innermost feelings like safety and security and so on. This will permeates public and private lives, emanates from media, 
expresses itself through common wisdom and persistently brazen stereotypes, through educational curricula from kindergartens to universities and through works of art. This liberal democratic general will does not recognize geographical or political borders. The liberal democratic general will reaches the area that Rousseau never dreamed of, language, gestures, and thoughts, like unacceptable views. Mm. This will ruthlessly Im- this will ruthlessly imposes liberal democratic patterns on everything and everyone. End quote. Now that's the smiling face of the totalitarian drift that we're seeing. And um, that's the very serious point which we've we've come to in 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 much of the West. And all that's happened in the last couple of years and, and certainly these last few weeks is the mask is off. Mm-hmm. Right? It's now for those who are alert and aware the 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 mask is off it can be more clearly seen for what it is right and uh as we're getting long on time here uh that's a great job laying the groundwork for how we got to where we are right now i wonder if next episode we could uh speak at length about how we can now respond to this uh you know we've had a lot of people emailing us how am i to think about what's happening in ottawa biblically there is growing totalitarianism. I recognize it, but no one in my church does, not even my church leadership. But right. Uh, right. perhaps uh, that would be a, a good discussion for, for next podcast. We can, Yeah, we can spend an extended period of time on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's pick that up next week then. So for yeah. those of you waiting for maybe some questions on practical responses, mm-hmm. we can start to uh, delve into that on our next podcast. Great, we'll do that. It was useful ju- uh, just hearing about... You mentioned Mussolini's fascism. You mentioned mm. Hitler's national socialism. You mentioned the contemporary Canadian smiling context. All different forms of government, but all expressions of and participating in the assumptions of totalitarianism. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right, right. Great. Well, that's, uh, that's it for our conversation for, for this week. And Joe and Ryan mentioned that you can pre-order Joe's forthcoming book, Ruler of Kings, uh, at uh, ezrapress.ca. And this has been the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute, reminding you that from him, through him, and to him are all things. To God be the glory.